Hello, you lovely lot. I wanted to take a moment to share an exciting announcement with you all. I will be doing a live show for Happy Mum, Happy Baby at the podcast show in London on the 22nd of May. This will be a live episode of this very podcast featuring me and a very special soon-to-be-announced guest. Get ready for a candid conversation, unfiltered truths, laughs, invaluable non-judgmental advice and lived experiences. Dive into the complexities of parenting while juggling work, relationships and personal growth and we'll be talking beyond the baby years. As well as the live episode, the show will also include a Q&A with both me and my guest. Tickets go on sale this Friday the 26th of April at 10am, but anyone who is part of the Happy Mum, Happy Baby newsletter will be getting early access to tickets on Wednesday the 24th of April at 10am. To sign up to the newsletter and for more information about the event, please head to happymumhappybaby.com forward slash events. I can't wait to see you there. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to another episode of Happy Mum, Happy Baby, the podcast. Today's guest is a businesswoman. She has her own fashion label. Um, she is an ambassador of the British Fashion Council, as well as Save the Children. She won the Great Sports Relief Bake Off in 2016, which, I mean, I am in awe of. Um, and she's a mother of four and married to a man named David. You know, he was Prime Minister from 2010 to 2016, which means that she has brought up children in Downing Street, which I find absolutely fascinating. Is Samantha Cameron. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. It's lovely to be here. Very it's, it's, it's very strange because we're together but not because we're doing this remotely. Yes, we are in we are in lockdown. We are four weeks, are we now, into lockdown yeah. nearly? And we're at very opposite ends of that because I've got three little ones running around who require a lot. And you've got older ones who, actually, when we talked about this earlier, you said something amazing. You're in lockdown at a point where, you know, they're teenagers. You're almost starting to lose them a bit, but now they're they're stuck with you. So you've had to, you've pulled them back a bit. You've got a bit more time with them. Yeah, no, it's been really lovely. I mean, I, don't, I mean, none of us had time to work out what we were expecting. And I think, the, you know, my daughter was supposed to be doing GCSE. So it was in sort of shock for the first couple of days and I can't see my friends. But then suddenly they know they can't go anywhere. And so they're not fighting against it. And so they're kind of very happy hanging out with you. And you feel like you've just got them kind of focused as a family for a little bit longer when they're at that point where they're, they're really trying to kind of fly the nest a bit. That must be really nice. It is. It's been great. Actually, we just had a really lovely supper and um, I was telling them about, I was about to do this podcast and I think we'll hopefully look back on this um, and I'm sure it won't be for all people and we're very lucky. It's quite a, a kind of nice family time when we, you know, had time to really spend some time together. It's weird, isn't it? I kind of feel like when we look back, there's obviously people who live in very different, you know, people that live in London and it must feel very different. Whereas for, for me, I feel like I'm living in a little bubble with my family. 
So when my grandkids say, what was it like? I'd be like, I don't, I don't really know. Not really. You know what I mean? It's a very odd time. Yeah, we're in Oxfordshire and I'm, 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 I'm working, but luckily my, I, I have my, I have a nine-year-old and I work full-time, so I have a nanny and she's come down here with us. We're normally um, in London in, in, in school term time. And so she's helping with the homeschooling of my nine-year-old while I'm working. But I'm having Zoom meetings with these poor parents who have got kind of two-year-olds and four-year-olds and five-year-olds and maybe both of them are working they're living in an apartment in uh, or flat in London and they've got the two-year-olds trying to crawl onto their lap while they're trying to have a, <laughs> a really important kind of zoom business meeting you know when I'm having conversations with the wholesalers um, you know Netaporte or matches and it's really quite surreal you could be talking to quite senior people and there they are trying to deal with all the normal stuff that we all have to deal with as parents but you don't normally see in the work situation. Do you think that's good, though, in a way of... I think we all try and put this front on of knowing what we're doing and being professional at all times, and actually this has kind of forced us all to scale that back a bit, and it is a case of... It is what it is. What each Zoom meeting, I'm like, it is what it is. If my child runs in, that's going to happen, you know? I can't, can't pretend... Yeah, there's nothing you can do. I think it's easier if you're all parents. I always think it's yeah. difficult, you know, when you work with a lot of people who aren't parents or the moment you... I remember thinking, you know, I was working really hard in my 20s and I had a boss who had children and thinking, oh, God, you know, it's sort of... It's quite annoying sometimes, you know, <laughs> her with her children and she makes such a fuss about things. And then I remember, um, you know, when I had a child, thinking now I understand. And funny enough, my assistant in Downing Street, Isabel said the same thing to me when she had a baby. She's like, when I was working for you in Downing Street, it was so frustrating sometimes, you know, the way you wanted to do things and the way you thought about things because you were a parent. And now I've had a baby, it all kind of, it, you know, and now I understand what you were going through and why you made a fuss about this or that. So I think it's very easy for me to understand. I think it must be quite weird for people who don't have children suddenly mm. dealing with people in Zoom meetings whose two-year-olds are trying to crawl onto their lap or whatever. Well, I see, keep seeing those amazing things going around about all the things you can do in lockdown, all the, you know, the new hobbies that you can pick up and the skills that you can learn. I'm like, what? I'm still trying to do all my normal stuff, but now I've got three kids at home constantly who yeah. want my attention the whole time. So I'd love to pick up my old saxophone and learn how to do that. That's just not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's the difference between kind of still working and I suppose for people who have been furloughed and I have some staff mm. in that situation, you are presumably sitting at home quite bored. But I think if you're trying to work, I've become obsessed by cleaning and I've, I've bought a super mop this week. <laughs> I get off at <laughs> six in the morning to kind of mop and clean the loose while doing work and the kids. I've never been busier. <laughs> it is, isn't it? It's just so much more on your plate all yes, of a sudden. Yes. Luckily, my husband's a very good cook, so he is—he's—he's he's sort of—he's set himself this kind of target, and he's having to do quite a lot of conference calls too. But he says his target that I—that he will cook all the meals during lockdown, which actually, with my teenage daughter, he has done. I haven't had to cook any. I've done a lot of washing up and a lot of cleaning, but I haven't had to do much in the way of cooking. So I'm, yeah. I am lucky. Has he—has he always loved cooking, or has that been something that started now that he's at home more? Uh, he's always, well, he's very greedy. We're both very greedy. We sort of fell in, I mean, one of the reasons why we're a kind of good couple, we sort of fell in love initially, sort of partly over food, you know, with food, with each other. Um, and so I think he cooks because he's always paranoid that there's not going to be a kind of meal on the table or it's always big <laughs> enough. Or, I mean, you know, when we were in our 
20s, I remember before we had children, my again, my, my boss saying to me, how old do your children have to be before you, you think you have to do Sunday lunch? And I'm like, well, we don't have any children. My husband cooks Sunday lunch every <laughs> Sunday already. And we had to have a kind of starter for every kind of, you know, starter and a main course kind of every evening when we were at home. We don't now, because otherwise we'd be enormous. We're always trying <laughs> not to eat The so starter much. and a main course. Yeah, so getting back, he, he's always loved cooking and he's got better and better at it. Um, I mean, it's a Jamie Oliver style cooking. It's not yeah. um, sort of cordon bleu, but... Yeah, so it's basically the food that everyone wants to eat. Man food. Than just look at. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm yeah. Going, have we got any vegetables? Are there any vegetables? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I've realised that I love cooking, and the main reason for that is so we've got an open plan, so I can see everything going on anyway. But I can kind of, if Tom's there, I can zone out. It's like that therapeutic thing of I'm cooking. The, the, the it's going in and I'm just like tunnel visioned into what I'm doing. I can no longer see anything. I'm no longer in control. That's your domain. I'm cooking. Yes. That weird yes. thing of kind of being out of it. No, I think that's what he said when he was in Downing Street. He used to come up because when you're in Downing Street, I think people imagine that you have lots of help up in the flat, but you don't have any. I mean, we had our nanny because I was working and there's a lovely Downing Street cleaner who would come in for a couple of hours in the morning. But other than that, you get no, you know, there's no sort of, not like you get a kind of chef or something like in the White House. And so Dave would come up and I go, OK, you can do reading with the children or you can cook supper. And he would he would he would cook supper. Um, but he because he found it really relaxing. He genuinely yeah. finds cooking was a kind of having been downstairs, uh, you know, chairing lots of meetings and having people kind of, you know, wanting his attention all day long that he'd, like you say, just being in mm. that zone you know, in that uh, on your own cooking for him while I was upstairs putting the children to bed was his kind of escape moment. Yeah. We'll go back to Downing Street in a bit. But what was your childhood like? Um, I am the eldest of eight. I've got seven younger siblings. My mum had me when she was about 21, 22. And then my parents got divorced when I was about four. And then they got remarried again and had more children. And I was very lucky. But, you know, within a few years, they all became best friends, mm. the four parents. And, and of course, like with any divorce, of course, there are kind of issues. But, but, I, but so I ended up having four parents and eight children. And we spent quite a lot of Christmases and school holidays and half terms and weekends all of us together so it was very noisy very happy initially in London and then in the countryside um so I look back on it as a kind of you know really magical time and I'm very close to all my uh siblings I think when there's so many of you and my mum worked she had her own business from the age of 17 so she always worked and I had an amazing nanny called Babs who still lives at home with my mum um, That's uh, amazing. Yeah, yeah. We were her kind of last family. I mean, she'd looked after a lot of families, and I think we were the last family that she looked after. So she now lives uh, with my mum and my stepdad. Um, and she was, yeah, she's great. I mean, it's like having a second mum. I, I feel quite, yeah. I, mean, I know it's not the kind of what everyone else's experience of having divorced parents, and I was very lucky, but I feel I had, you know, three mums, two dads, loads of siblings. And I think, you know, particularly as a teenager, it can be, if you have a kind of relatively um, kind of happy divorced parents, I think as a teenager you have your, your different personalities and your parents have different personalities. And I think sometimes I could go to my dad and my stepmom and be one person and then I could be with my mum and my stepdad and be another person. And they both, because they're sort of slightly different, um, 
there was that sort of lack of intensity that you might have as a teenager when you're all in one family and you can kind of be slightly different people with different parents, which I, I found, I mean, of course, there were downsides as well. And I'm quite good at, you know, looking at the upsides. But that was one of the upsides, I think. Yeah. But it, sound, it sounds like a, 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 a joyous and loud... Yeah. Noisy. Way to it was yeah. definitely noisy. Did it make you wonder, like, did it make you think ahead to how many children you would have? I think I always wanted um, a big family, though I think we were quite aware growing up that it was more fun for us than it was for our parents. <laughs> really? Because <laughs> <laughs> we would gang up on them. I mean, that's what's really terrifying. You know, if you have yeah. a lot of children and they're relatively close in age and they suddenly decide to gang up on you because they don't <laughs> like whatever it is you want them to do, they sort of can. And I, there were aspects when we were a bit older when that happened. So I think even then, I say you're quite aware that it's probably more fun for you as children than for the parents. <laughs> but still wanting to have, I think when I had a family, enough of that, you know. But then you start having your own children, and we parent differently to our our parents, or at least I'm 49, so different to how my parents parented. And um, and the idea of having five or six, I mean, I just can't imagine. I mean, you know, how you would give that many children kind of attention I don't think they really did I think that's why we were so close to each other as siblings because you don't get that much attention to your parents and so you have to get on with your siblings and I think all of us find it quite shocking when we you know you meet friends of yours as you're growing up who really don't get on with their siblings for one reason mm. or another and for us we find that you know shocking and surprising because the idea yeah. that we wouldn't you know get on I'm not saying it's easy all of the time of course there are kind of ups and downs and um but in the main you mm. know the idea that you wouldn't speak to one of your siblings or not see them you know for a period of time would be extraordinary for us and and you met David really young uh yes so I was well he was my best friend's older brother and so I probably met him first when I was about 17 or 18 and then we got together on his dad's, it was his dad's 60th birthday and he took his children and they could all bring a friend to a hotel in the south of Italy. Um, and that's where that's when Dave and I sort of got together. And we sort of knew each other a bit, but he was always, you know, we were kind of naughty teenagers and he was already quite serious and had a job and a kind of serious <laughs> girlfriend. And so we always slightly took the piss out of him. He was sort of, you know, Claire's square old brother. Um, and then, but then we sort of fell in love on this, on this holiday and everyone was unbelievably surprised. I don't think they'd ever thought, I was a bit of a hippie and, um, I mean, I was a teenager, I mean, you know, virtually. And, uh, and I don't think anyone had ever, was, I think all, all the parents involved were sort of quite surprised when <laughs> a couple of months later we were still together. <laughs> and then here you are. You've been married for 24 years or together for 24 years? Yeah, I can't remember. We got married in 96, I think. I think, yes, I think next year is my 50th birthday and our 25th wedding anniversary. Or, yeah. Well, hopefully we'll be out of lockdown and you'll be able to celebrate properly. Yes, yes, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Did you talk about, I think when you get together really young, so me and my husband, we met, well, we met at 13 and we got, we had a relationship when we were 16 and then together properly from the age of 18. And for us, I found that when getting together young, you kind of think about having kids and, you know, getting married and stuff, but it always seems so far in the distance. Yes, it was definitely the same with us. Um, I mean, partly also because I had my youngest sibling, I think is 13 years younger than me. 
So in my 20s, I still felt like a child. You know, you start to behave yeah, in your you family do, yeah. like the kind of, I mean, not in the workplace, but there's an element that you still feel like a child because your youngest sibling is a child. And so, you know, particularly when you're home with your family, it's a bit like the sort of lowest common denominator. You all start behaving like the youngest one in the most sort of pathetic, yeah. juvenile way. Um, <laughs> Um, so, of course, when I first met Dave, I, you know, the idea that I would be having children myself when I still, you know, felt like a child would be sort of absurd. Then I got really into my career. Um, his, he's about nearly five years older than me, so his friends had started having babies, but it never really... Although I knew I wanted to have a family, we were married for about four years before... Mm. I, three or four years before I got pregnant and together for quite a lot longer. Um, and it was when my best friend got pregnant, and there was that sudden, like, oh, wow. We do this? Yeah, and, and none of my... and I mean, she's a couple of years older than me and none of my exact contemporaries were anywhere near... I mean, half of them weren't even married, didn't mind having children. And then suddenly when she got pregnant, it's almost that slightly competitive thing. I was like, oh, she's going to have a baby, I want one. Um, and I'd always known I'd wanted a family, but just it hadn't occurred to me ever to have it do it then. What was it like finding out you were pregnant? I can't remember. <laughs> That's the awful. I got pregnant. I was lucky. I got with my fourth child. It took me a bit longer, um, and um, and I had a miscarriage. I mean, I was you know ten years older. But um, but with my first one, I think I got married. You know, virtually the first month that we um, that we tried. So I can't really remember. It's I remember just got, I had terrible morning like sickness. That. Yes. Yeah. Because I think you kind of hear those stories of it. Oh, it might happen that way and whatever. And then you kind of like let's just see what happens. And then. It happens so quickly, and you're like, whoa! Yeah. Like that life-changing decision that you kind of just make, and that's it, life changed. Yes, yes. No, it is. It's sort of extraordinary. And I think maybe less extraordinary for me because so many of Dave's friends had already started having kids, so mm. it didn't feel um, like a totally alien thing. But not that I was particularly interested in anyone else's children because having grown up with babies all around me, it was like either my stepmom or my mum was pregnant at sort of any point, any particular point in time, it felt like. I really, what people would come home from school, friends, and go, they'd be obsessed by all my baby, <laughs> all the babies. And I'd be going, oh my God, they're so boring. There's like loads of them. They're always turning up. Why, why do you find them exciting <laughs> or interesting? <laughs> I love it. They're always turning up. There's always a baby somewhere. There's always another baby. We're always having to be quiet because there's a baby sleeping somewhere. Um, uh, so, how, how have all of your pregnancies been quite different? I felt, I mean, I had quite bad morning sickness with all of them. I mean, really bad from sort of six to 14 weeks, I would say. Um, I mean, not being sick, but literally feeling like I wanted to die. I sort of imagine it's what it's like if you have sort of chemotherapy, like kind of every cell in your bone feels in sort of pain. Yeah. Um, uh, and then at about 16 weeks, I feel like kind of superwoman, like the kind of <laughs> most beautiful, kind of energetic, amazing woman ever. And then you start to feel tired and not sleep and... And then mine all came a month about or between two weeks and a month early. So I've never had that kind of endless end bit. So yeah, did you have C-sections with all of them? Yes, because Ivan, my first son, he was um, undiagnosed breech. And so I went into hospital in labour um, and then was told I had to have a C-section. And then because he was very disabled, when I had my, not because of the birth or anything, when I was pregnant with my um, second child, my daughter, and they, initially I thought I would try and have her naturally, because you can, if you had one C-section, mm. they'll let you try and have a natural birth a second time. But then obviously, if, you, you know, if you're a parent of a disabled child and you know lots of other parents who are disabled children, a lot of the time it can be from a birth issue. 
birthing issue. Um, and so I just thought, well, why take that risk? I've had one C-section yeah. already. I might as well have another. And so all of them ended up being C-sections. But where I was quite lucky was that I went, because they all came quite early, I went into labour for all of them. So oh, really? I don't know what it's like to have a C-section cold. I imagine that's quite strange that you go in for a book C-section and you're not in labour and you're kind of cut open. Whereas I was always, you know, having contractions, you know. Well, did you have dates booked? And then I had have dates to go, booked, oh. but I just never made it to the date. <laughs> Um, well, when you caught uh, short the fourth time round as yes, well, we were you in Cornwall. Cornwall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was a month. So the girls were both a month early, and the boys were both two weeks early. Wow. Mm. Um, so yeah, and I never really finished work. I think, I think with all of them, I never got. You know, I, I sort of had them either the day after I finished. I remember my stepmother ringing me with Elwin actually, and um, I was lying in bed. and I said, "Oh, it's just so nice." Um, my first lion, it's my first day off work before I have the baby. And then literally, as I was on the phone to her, I was like, oh, I think, I think that might be my mucus plug. And I'd never sort of, I'd never known, you know, have those, you know when you have those maternity classes, or whatever they're called, yeah. antenatal classes, and they talk about the mucus plug. And then for the first two, I didn't know, hit, I mean, you know, I yeah. never, sort of never found it, saw it, whatever. And then... Um, and then with the third one, literally kind of lying there and going, yep, I think that's what it might be. I think it's time to avoid time to get to I the think, hospital. though, there's that thing of when you're finding things out as you go along. Like, I can remember my mucus plug coming out the first time and literally holding it in the toilet paper and being like, is it? Let's Google that. Let's Google image that and see. Just compare. You know what I mean? Because you don't know. Yeah, yeah. What was it like meeting Ivan for the first time, that first moment where you became mum? I think when you're pregnant, you bond so much with your baby, don't you? It feels like they're kind of part of you. Yeah. And you have this sort of amazing relationship with them um, that's so sort of close, because in some ways no one else is involved. It's just sort of you and mm -hmm. them. And I think the surprising thing when they come out is this sort of immediate dawning realisation that they are their own person, that they're not yeah. you. And it's almost a bit of a... A kind of shock um, because you're like, oh gosh, actually you're not me, you're your own person. And I mean, I think like all parents, you know you're going to love them, but you are quite overwhelmed. And also you worry you're not. I think you worry that you're not going to love them when you come out. And for some people that is a you know reality for whatever reason, um, or even if it's just for a short period of time. But no, I remember, I mean, with C-sections, there's a moment when they come out when you're like, don't give me the baby just yet. <laughs> <laughs> really? Well... Because you've had quite a lot of drugs, so you're feeling a bit kind of sick and kind of overwhelmed. Yeah. So it's a bit, you know, a bit like when you feel like you're about to throw up, is that feeling of being, or being very drunk or something? You just feel a bit overwhelmed. And so it only, it's only for a couple of minutes, but there's just a few minutes when you're like, yeah, like, give them to Dave. <laughs> and, then you, and then you can kind of have them because it's quite... It's quite a big deal. Have you had the curtain thing each time where the baby kind of rises over the curtain? Yes. Is that something that yes. And yeah. then they go, we're going to drop the curtain. And the first time they say they're going to drop the curtain, you're like, no, no. And then you realise actually your tummy is so enormous that there's no way you're going to see anything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They didn't really need the curtain because there's this massive thing <laughs> between you and everything going on down there. Well, that's quite a shock though, isn't it? I think, because I've never even thought about that as a C-section body. Like, you think the baby's coming out and the first time that would have happened, it... it it's a shock to know that your body is still visibly, it looks pregnant still. Mm -hmm. And particularly with the C-section because it doesn't go down 
as quickly mm. as if you, I think you're in labour for kind of longer. And maybe the contractions stop quicker after you've given birth, I'm not sure. And so you, you end up being quite big. Having had so many babies around, were you surprised at how different it felt holding your own baby? I was, oh, I mean, the other thing was when you have a C-section baby, they're quite sleepy well, if they're early. Oh, so okay. with Ivan, he was a month early and he was a C-section baby and they tend to be quite sleepy. Um, and so obviously, although there were all kinds of issues, you, you know, after the first couple of weeks he was born because you, we found out that he was very ill, initially it was very easy. Um, I'm not very good at breastfeeding. I didn't do much breastfeeding with any of them. I mean, I'm sure I could and I did breastfeed for a month with Elwyn that was about my longest but it wasn't something I was very good at but apart from the breastfeeding which I wasn't particularly stressed about working or not I found it quite easy because particularly if they're quite sleepy and they're not crying straight away it's pretty straightforward and I've been brought up with lots of babies and you change their nappy yeah. and you feed them and it's not like it's very complicated um, and so I really loved those first couple of weeks and I, I felt like I was I took to it quite naturally um, and I think my my nanny, who I went home to my mum's with him, and um, and my na my nanny was there. And I think because I'd been quite un, I'm not particularly maternal. I hadn't been obviously a kind of maternal. Oh, I'm so desperate for a baby kind of person. I think she was sort of unbelievably surprised at how naturally I took to it. I think you just don't know, do you, until they arrive, what kind of mum you're going to be. Are, are you surprised at the type of mum that you are? Because having thought you're not really that maternal and, you know, you've, 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 you've had four children. You obviously yes, like it. Yes, yes. No, no, I'm definitely maternal, but a working mum. And uh, I think I'd always knew I would carry on working. I never kind of questioned that. I don't know why, partly because we needed to financially and partly maybe because my mum had always worked. Um, so I think I probably have turned out to be the kind of mum I thought I would be. It's difficult to know. I feel like I've been doing it for quite a long time now. It's been 18 years, so... Um... You have. One thing you did do when you were pregnant um, with uh, your fourth child is you moved to Downing Street. Mm. What was that like? Was it quite surreal knowing <laughs> that you were going to... Because I know that you don't live there full time mm. when that is... But was it quite surreal knowing that you were going to be bringing up your family? No, no. I mean, yeah, you are living there full time. I mean, I tried not to move there initially and all during the election campaign, it had always been something I'd said, you know, I'm never going to, I don't want to move to Downing Street with the kids. I just don't want to move. And then it becomes inevitable within the first week of, you know, your husband becoming prime minister that, that you are going to have to move there. Um, you know, the security people were like, you know, we can't, it'll be a nightmare for your neighbours, we'll have to barricade off your street. And then you're like, OK, OK, I give in. <laughs> and then actually... But also, there must be that other thing as well, actually, if David's got to work and he could be called sort of downstairs at any yeah. minute, is it just easy, you all being there and that kind of being, you still being together? No, definitely, and and that that's what it turned out to be. In the, it, we because of the coalition, it was a fixed term parliament, so we knew we were going to be there for five years in theory, which you know we were, and a little bit more. Um, and so we decided, okay, we're going to move, so we're going to do it properly. So we rented out our house, we spent some, we you know got a bit of a mortgage, we spent some money on the on the flat, did it up, moved all our own furniture in. So I was like, okay, if we're going to be here for five years, this is going to be home. I want it to be a really happy family home. I want this to be a really good kind of family experience for us. And it turned out to be just that. I will look back on it as a really happy time for us as a family. And, you know, obviously Dave's great and not bringing his kind of work home. Um, 
uh, he's he's very good at compartmentalizing like that. And I think we were his kind of relaxation in in some senses. Um, he loves seeing the kids after uh, after a day at work. But he's not commuting, so, you, you know, we'd yeah. have breakfast. He'd get up at five and work for a few hours, and they would all have breakfast together, and then he'd go downstairs for the first sort of 8.30 meeting, and then he'd be back up with us by kind of half past seven, eight o'clock. And also, you know, in Danishik, because you are Prime Minister, people, and you are working very hard, not, they don't want you to get sort of really overtired, so they are trying to protect you a bit, and so... He could come up at kind of eight o'clock at night and then we could have time together for a few hours. And, you know, his way of working was, I mean, some some ministers do all their work at night, but his was very much to get up at five in the morning and do it then before we all got up so he could yeah. spend time with us in the evenings and, and over breakfast. So it worked really well and it was a very happy time. But what was it like having children there, though? Were you not constantly like, shh, shh, they're doing, like, official stuff downstairs? I'd no, be, I, I get like, mum sweats over anything. No, it's sort of huge. And so, and then our apartment was sort of one end, and it's this big apartment. It's like a sort of enormous house within a house. So it was sort of, we were, right. you're in a huge flat, um, you know, much bigger than our house. The children's bedrooms were sort of enormous. They were like... Um, and they kept saying to me, that I just, I just want a tiny bedroom like my friends have got. I want this big bedroom. <laughs> Having to buy them all like double beds when they were tiny just to fill the room. Um, and also they're a kind of, because it's all bomb-proof, there are sort of the windows are all bomb-proof and there's sort of thick sort of cement floor. So you don't hear anything. You're in this flat and it's totally quiet with these views over St James's Park. So you can kind of feel a bit like a kind of princess in a tower, totally cut off from everything going on in the kind of offices. It's a really beautiful yeah. flat and uh, uh, you're cut off from everything going on in, off, on in the offices downstairs and you very rarely go in the front door because there's lots of press outside. So you come in a kind of quite sort of scruffy back entrance through um, the offices and then upstairs to this apartment in a lift. So, of course, it's different from being in a kind of terraced house in, you know, W10, which is what we were in before, but not that different it didn't impact the way you behaved as a family particularly um and the children i went to work every day well three days a week to, to smyton and the children went to the same school every day but we just did the school run from a slightly different direction from everyone else um people came for play dates you know piano teachers came round it you we led a really normal family life there it was weirder at the weekends but we did normally go to oxfordshire or to checkers because the time when it was weird there at the weekend was weirdly when the offices were all empty. Right. And so when you leave the flat, it does feel like being in a... I can't really explain. Um, it's a bit, so it almost feels a bit lonely because there's yeah. this really empty building and you're also in a part of London which isn't really a kind of villagey family part of London. So we didn't spend the weekend there very much. We would either go to Chequers or to our parents or to our cottage um, uh, in the constituency. Did it help knowing that it was for what well, would likely be for a set amount of time as well? You knew it wasn't going to be long term, like forever. It was going to be, you know, this kind of years rather than a decade. Yes, and I think that's what we always said to the children about everything, whether it was about. And I think it was hardest with Florence. The older two really understood that because they remembered being at home before. But for Florence, was born there, so um, I think always explaining to them that this this it was home, but it wasn't home forever um yeah. but i mean lots of children if they're from a military family or you know yeah. for whatever reasons move around a lot it's not it's not like that's such a home is where your parents are it's not it's not a building is it really 
So what about moving out though? Because that all happened so quickly. Did you have did they have a chance to sort of say goodbye? I know that you packed up mm. the house on your own, but did how did you explain it to them? Um so yeah. my daughter was on a school trip in France, so that was quite weird. I mean we knew at that stage that they were doing the Tory leadership election, but we had thought we weren't moving out until August, September time. And this would have been, I suppose, in July. And so we only had two days warning for actually having to, I think we were, I, I, um, I think on the Monday we heard, and we moved out on the Wednesday. So we got Nance back from her school trip um, really quickly. Um, uh, and, you know, I talked to the children and the day before or was it that morning I can't remember now I just decided all I was going to do I wasn't going to pack a box I made the house look really nice and I put flowers everywhere and made it all look really tidy and perfect and a friend of mine who's a photographer who did photographs at our wedding I rang him up and said Ollie I know it's weird but he lives in Dorset can you can you come up and take some photos of us here and with all the staff Aww. in Downing Street because so we can kind of remember it so I can't remember if it was the day before or the morning or the day, I can't remember quite how the timing worked, but I tried to make it a really sort of special time that wasn't about moving. It was just about creating this really nice memory of our time there. And then the children left with Dave out of the front door, in front of all the cameras. And then, you know, I, they never came back. They never, you know, um, you know, they don't come back. Whereas I could then sort of come in the back door again and yeah. start packing frantically. <laughs> But I mean, you've seen it happen. I think if, you're, if your husband's in politics, it's brutal. I mean, you know it's brutal. You know, you know British politics is brutal. And from the first moment he went into politics, I think I'd always been very realistic about the things that could and would happen to us. And, you know, you take a decision not to be, you know, upset by them or surprised by them or, you know, I think you have mm. to go into it with that attitude because if you don't... I think it could be quite upsetting and traumatising. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I absolutely love the fact that you completely celebrated your time there. I think that's so beautiful as a family. Rather than making it a sad thing that you're moving, it's like we had this amazing experience for yeah. six years, you know. Yeah, in this beautiful place. And the staff there was so lovely. And, you know, Florence had grown up with them. You become very close to them. Um all the people working in the building whether it's the you know lovely ladies running the cafe downstairs or the security or the doorman there's a or cafe. the cleaners yeah there's a little cafe right downstairs it's a big office there's probably a couple of hundred people working there in wow. pretty kind of not particularly nice offices because it's an old building so the air conditioning doesn't really work and they're all quite kind of dusty and dark dingy um i love yeah. that my only reference for downing street of what it looks like inside there is love actually which it is so the bits, oh, is it? The bits, so the kind of formal <laughs> bits are very like that it is, okay you know, it is very like that but there's also so then there's the our flat and then the number the, the, the number oh, we're in the number 11 in fact the number 10 flat upstairs where george osborne was and then there's just lots of there's quite a lot of offices and, and so there were particular people that florence would go from when she was a baby would go around with our nanny Geeta at the time and sit on their desks and eat their biscuits and their sweets and cuddle <laughs> the cat and you know, she, her not so much for the older children, because they went to school every day and we didn't really spend time there in the holidays or weekends, but for Florence, it was her kind of home and her family. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. And was it in 2017 that you decided to set up your own fashion label? Mm, yes, so well, probably... I'd thought about it or started working on it a couple of years before, but I was still working three days a week at Smyson, so I sort of did it a bit in my spare time. But we actually, I sort of did it, started doing it properly in 2017. By that point, you thought, the kids are growing up a bit, I've got a bit of extra time, let's just add something else to the mix. Yeah, well, there's not really any extra time, <laughs> is there? But uh, No, exactly. <laughs> I think it was this kind of point in my life where I thought, I've always wanted to do this thing, and if I don't do it now, then... I never will. Um, and it started out as more like a kind of a hobby while I was in Downing Street, um, just to sort of see how it would, you know, whether I could make it work. And then, you know, day by day, it sort of then turned into something that was real. Um, but it, it, was, it, it, it was quite slow over a period of two or three years before it actually became a kind of proper business. And then it and was And the name mayhem. is inspired by your children. Yes, I mean, I'm not, I mean, I never wanted to call the brand art after me. I'm not that kind of person. Um, you think, oh, what do I, you know, nowadays, weirdly, all lots of website words and URLs have gone because people have yeah. bought them up. And so you have to sort of make up these slightly strange sort of names. Um, and so it seemed fairly natural to me to come up with some kind of anagram, I don't know what you call it, of my children's initials. Yeah. And I, I just assumed it was French. Sifin. No, well, well it's, pr it's pronounced Sifin. Like Actually, it. initially it was spelt with an S for Samantha, and then I ran into trademark problems, so it was S-E-F-I-N, so Samantha, Elwin, Florence, Ivan, Nancy. Um, yeah. I wish it, which also, and I'm partly, my mum is half Welsh, it was, who was also a Welsh uh, sort of queen or goddess or something. She was some sort of, you know, fem early, sort of from hundreds of years ago, sort of feminist, sort of Welsh... Lady, so it sort of see when I looked up the kind of word, that's what came up. So it seemed quite appropriate that it was this sort of strong Welsh woman and my children's initials. But then I say I ran into trademark problems just as we were about to launch the business. Many of the other, many of the many pitfalls, um, or mm -hmm. you know, ups and downs of being an entrepreneur, and so I had to change the spelling sort of slightly. Yeah, and how have you found the juggle of having that? Is it different having your own thing? Uh, yes, I mean, I've always worked and I think like Dave, I'm very good at compartmentalising. I don't, you know, when I'm at home, I'm at home and when I'm at work, I'm at work and I don't really mix the two. Um, I think I'm quite male in a way, I can only do one thing at a time. Um, uh, whereas when I'm at work, I'm not sitting there panicking about the children and kind of ringing the nanny all day. I, I mean, I'm quite good at compartmentalising, but definitely it is a big difference when it's your own business because you know, whether it's waking up in the middle of the night and worrying, it, you can't leave it at 
the office like you do if you're working um, for someone else. But I think I've probably been doing it, working and being a mum long enough that it's yeah. easier to cope with. I think if you were doing a startup and were a young mum, I think that would be really hard. It's really interesting though, because so, so if you're compartmentalising, at least you can get everything done in those working hours and just have that as dedicated focus time. Yeah. So that you don't, it doesn't spill over. No, exactly. Um, uh, and I'm, I'm quite organised and I get up very early in the morning, I have a bit of me time. Yeah, no, I'm just, I think you just have to build that structure into the day so then you are, you're not feeling like you're failing everyone and everything all of the time, which I think yeah. can happen if you let work come into family life or family life come into work. So I think there are just so many areas of motherhood that leave you feeling like a failure <laughs> a lot. Day. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> do you ex do you experience mum guilt? I don't I'm not sure it's guilt, because I having had a working mum, I think it is much easier um because you're not you're you know you've turned out okay. Yeah. And you've worked hard and been successful and I don't have issues about anything and um, so I think it makes it much, much easier. Um, but do I feel like a failure all the time or very imperfect or I'm not doing a good enough job? Oh, my God, 100% of the time. I mean, you can never do a good enough job as a parent, can you? I mean... Well, does that shift as they get older as well? No. Because then they can vocalise that to you as well. No, I think it gets more complicated and the problems get trickier and less easy to solve and... Um, and the balance between being kind of firm but also wanting to make sure that they'll come and talk to you if there's an issue is, is such a kind of fine balance with teenagers that I think it gets harder and harder. Um, and also, I remember talking to Alexandra Schulman, actually, who's, uh, I remember when her son was about 18, going, oh, is it so much easier? You know, when mine was still quite little, is it so much easier now they're grown up? And she was like, no, it just gets gets worse because you know the you, you know you can't solve the problems anymore it's much more heartbreaking because when they were little you could just pick them up and stop them stick crying stick a plaster on stick it stick a yeah. plaster on it and then when they get big and their hearts broken or you know they're depressed or whatever it might be you know you can't you can't solve those problems it must be really hard because all you want to do is fix them yes yes no, and I think that was what was really tough with Ivan, you, you know, is I couldn't fix him. You know, you've got yeah. this baby and, you know, with most other parents, you can kind of, you can kind of fix or solve the problem, particularly when they're little. Um, yeah. You know, they need feeding or they're nappy changing or whatever it is. And you just can't, you know, can't fix the problem. But I think that's just being a parent. And I think actually for my parents, when I had Ivan, I think that was incredibly hard because it was probably the first time in their parenting that something had happened to one of their children that, you know, was, you know, devastatingly mm. hard and, and they couldn't solve that problem for me either. You know, so I think it's just ongoing, isn't it? Must be really hard because for you, you would be aware of that as well. So it, it, I, I imagine in that situation, it's lots of people trying to do the right thing for everyone and mm. everyone just, everyone being at a loss and not knowing how to make things better, for what, yep. want of a better word. Yeah, no, no, it's, ex you know, it's exactly like that. But I think the thing that it gives you is that you do kind of, you know, it's just about getting through each day and enjoying all the kind of really 
really, um, you really appreciate every moment that that everything's fine, you know, everything's fine. And I think it does give you that amazing um, sort of thing for the rest of your life, um, yeah. being in, you know, really tough situations where um, the tiny glimmers of okayness become so sort of amazing mm. <laughs> that, that, that you, you know, uh, you, everything is very much in perspective. You're not spoiled. I mean, because um, you really appreciate even the tiniest things. There's a gorgeous photo of Ivan that's come up time and time again whenever I've been researching you, uh, which is the one of him smiling. Yes, and he didn't smile, you know, a lot of the time. Um, and so that is a kind of amazing photo. You know, the love you feel for a child that is, you know, that helpless is sort of extraordinary. And it's, you know, very different when you have a normal child, because he was my first child. When you have a normal child that can kind of do things for themselves and, you know, it's a very different experience. Mm. How do you think Ivan has affected you as a mum? I think much less expectations. Mm-hmm. Probably. Um, of course, not that I don't have expectations for my children. I do nag them when they don't do their homework or this. <laughs> but you're not... I think sometimes people can have children, they want them to be perfect, you, you know. Yeah. And um, and I think that you just become very... kind of more accepting of just whatever is, is. You're not, you're not looking for any kind of perfection anymore. You're just so grateful for... Anything that's just okay. <laughs> yeah. um, you're not expecting your children to be, you know, Wimbledon tennis stars or get into Oxford or you're just happy if they're just fine. <laughs> <laughs> fine is good. Well, fine is perfect Fine for you. is good. Fine yeah. is good. Yeah. <laughs> How has um, motherhood and, effect and having a family affected your relationship with David? I think we're a mixture of both being quite kind of selfish on the one hand, yeah. but quite good parents on the other. So I think I like to think we find a nice balance of finding time for ourselves and for us as a couple and while being good parents to them. But it's very much a team. It's a team effort. He's great like that. You know, we very much do it together. He changed nappies and from day one. The thing I always think is a really good thing to do when you get home, I sort of always word of advice to kind of new mums and some take it and some don't, but is um, he always bathed the babies from the first day they came home from the hospital. It's right. one of the hardest things to do, isn't it, bathing a baby in those plastic basin things, you know. And even though he was working, we would do the bathing. You know, the book say, bath your baby in the morning, but we didn't do that. We, he'd come home from work and he'd get a whiskey and uh, he'd get in the bath and I'd put, you know, even from like the first day they were back in hospital with Florence and I'd put the baby in the bath. Um, and that was always his bonding and I think you've got to kind of let them have their thing from the first yeah. moment and then they'll change the nappies and do anything you want but you if, as soon as you stop them kind of being involved I think it's hard to then expect them to come come in again at a later stage and be super dad <laughs> yeah well you've gone through so much as you from getting together so young you know, you've grown up together, you've had children together, you lost Ivan together, you know, and now you've got teenagers together who are soon going to go off and fly and have their own lives without you. And then it's back to you two again. And yeah. I find that a very 
strange thought for me and my husband and our kids are only young still that at some point it's going to go we're going to go through all this stuff and at some point it's going to go back to being just us again I think we spent long enough together before we had children that that's quite exciting I think we know that we get on I mean if we can stay yeah. together obviously you sort of, the moment you say you're going to kind of stay together forever you'll probably end up getting divorced but <laughs> touch with, it's touch like a sort of tempting fate isn't it <laughs> um but um but I think we were together long enough before we had children that we know we get on really well and there's so much stuff that we like doing together we're not very good I'm not very good at ever spending time away from the children with him on my own and um there was a couple of years ago when he was work, he was travelling a lot, about a year after Downing Street, and I was really working hard on my business. It was one of the few times in our marriage when I was like, I'm not sure we're getting on very well. It's really weird. And and actually, we just went away for three days together, away from the children. And I, you know, I think partly because I do work, I then, and, and, and I'm a bit of a control freak about kind of all the logistics and everything else. Yeah. I'm not very good at ever leaving them. And I think you can't, if you're working, you have to choose between work and and other stuff and your children. So you can't do everything. You can't kind of work and have a social life and go off yeah. on holiday with your husband on your own and be a parent. And I choose to work and be a parent and not do the other stuff. So we're not very good at going away with each other, but we did go to New York for three days. And I have to say, you know, we came back and you're like, you, it was amazing. Have three mm. days on your own together somewhere else, you know, going around art galleries and restaurants that had nothing to do with children, you know, put us straight back on track again. Um, so I think I look forward to that time when we can spend a bit more time together, travelling or yeah. going to restaurants. You know, we never go out at night anymore because once you've got teenagers, you just coming out be of lockdown, Sam. That's that's the other side of this, surely. No, really, you've got to go out when they're little. They go to bed at seven thirty. That's well, very you true. You just wait, make the most of it. I think we definitely went out more when they were little. I mean, it wasn't very much, but we would go out to restaurants yeah. or whatever, even just on our own together for a sort of date night. Whereas once you have teenagers, you really feel like you've got to be there all the time. I mean, it's not yeah. to say we don't go out for dinner with friends, but, you know, probably less than we ever have because your parenting starts in the evening. Yeah. Mm. Well, that's a weird... So you would have had a moment where you come home and all of a sudden they're there with you until beyond you going to bed. They stay up later. Yes, yes, at the weekends. I'm like, please go to bed before kind of one in the morning when I'm, I'm going to bed, so, you know, 10 minutes after the 10 o'clock news has started. Um, and there's a limit to what you can, you know, and you're like, leave your phone downstairs, which in the week I do take their phones off them at nine and hope they don't sneak down and they do go to bed a bit earlier in theory. But at the weekends, you know, they're of an age where... If they want to stay up watching telly till 12, 1 in the morning, I mean, it's not for me to say they can't, age 16, really. So funny how that just creeps up on you. Yeah, yeah, and it does creep up on you. Uh, but it's great. I'm really enjoying having the teenagers. It was quite rocky to start with, um, with when my daughter suddenly became teenage and she did with an absolute vengeance. I had to kind of, you know, get back to the parenting books. There are some good ones out there. I really recommend them. Oh, really? Yes, yes, definitely. Um... Uh, but actually now, having kind of got through that kind of initial stage, um, uh, I just, I'm, I'm loving it. That's what's great about being a parent, isn't it? It just changes all the time. It's never boring. I guess that's even, even with you and David, you know, having been with my husband from young, you kind of, you go through stages where you do kind of, you drift and you, you drift, mm. you come back towards each other. And I think that's the same in parenting as well. 
like you have moments where it's you're kind of at loggerheads and then it kind of eases and you're really getting on and because everyone is constantly learning whether that's you as a mum or them experiencing whatever they're experiencing and going through a new development stage it's constantly moving you've just got to hope that you keep coming back together yes no I think it's totally I think marriage and children exactly like that I mean with all my girlfriends we have that conversation where they go how are you so, oh, I really love my children at the moment I really hated them last week <laughs> it's just, it's sort of, or you think or you do feel like it's all going quite well and you're being quite a good mom and there are other periods when you're like oh my gosh you know see I'm I just... really worry when I'm in that moment where I'm like this is going really well like with homeschooling last week I was like we are on top of it the juggling's going well it's and then yesterday or Monday that was it. I it was in never floods lasts. of tears. Yeah. <laughs> so you always kind of like, you're thinking it's really good, but knowing that's yeah. not a really good thing to think because it's going to go the other way. I reckon you've got two weeks at the most at any one time. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's all this too shall pass. Yes. Uh. Uh, are there parts of your childhood that you really want to pass on to your children that you really want to give them? Uh, yeah, that's definitely one of my failing bits. Um, oh, really? Yeah. I mean, I was a massive bookworm. I read from the age of seven. I didn't read, learn to read very easily. And then when I did, um, I read you know, books, books and books and books and books. Sometimes like 20 books a week, even if it was just like Enid Blyton's or Agatha Christie's or whatever. I, none of my children will read books. So that... Um, <laughs> That, I've got three and none of them none of them really read none of them are bookworms other people's children are so I feel like I've sort of failed in that respect because books for me was such a kind of window on the world and and then I think nature although I was brought up in London for the first few years I then was best friends with the um uh, I we lived in the middle of the countryside um with my mum from the age of I was about five or six onwards and I was the farmer's daughter and the village's best friend and we roamed wild and built kind of haystack camps and kind of you know were out in the fields till kind of late at night and bird watching and all this stuff and I think I really wanted that for my children and I think they have a bit of that because we're in the country at the weekend but yeah. not to the extent that I did and I think you know for so many reasons you know work mainly I suppose you know it can be impossible to recreate things that you had in your childhood but they probably have lots of things that I didn't have they've traveled more they've been abroad yeah. more you know we never there were so many of us we never went abroad or you know they've had an amazing time in Downing Street they've probably got lots more friends because um, my mum was so young when she had me and my my nearest sister Emily they have a, a kind of a social life with our friends and their children because yeah. we I had you know a lot of my best friends had children at the same time so they had this amazing kind of almost like extended family of kind of children their age, which I probably didn't have in the same way. So, you know, there's something new, isn't there, for every generation? Yeah, so you don't need to feel too bad no, about the no, things no. that we didn't get. <laughs> have you surprised yourself as a man? I'm surprised I went through four pregnancies. <laughs> really? Well, you look back on them and I just see my sister, my young one, I've got a preg one of my sisters pregnant at the moment, and... You look back and think, oh, my God, I did that four times. It is sort of extraordinary parenting, you know, wanting to become pregnant again. It's quite a sort of weird thing. And it does make you realise, I mean, I can't imagine having kind of... you. I'd, uh, someone who worked for me at Smyton, who was one of eight, but from one mum. You know, my mum's only had five, but her mum had had eight children. Wow. And I mean, that I really kind of couldn't imagine. So, yes, having had four pregnancies, I sort of look back and think, oh, my God, how did I do that? Um, uh, How did you know to leave it for? 
Were you like I'm, I'm no five is not where I'm going. I'm 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 leaving it there. I think well partly because I'd had four cesareans and I had um, uh, a placenta previa with my last one. So the doctors actually said to me, "You can't have any more." But I had right. all because Florence was a bit younger. Maybe I should have another one really quickly. So she has a kind of a sibling mate. Yeah. Um, so I did consider it. And also, I think as a choice, in do I start a business? You know, do I start my own business, which is something I'd wanted to do all my life, or do I have another child? So, in a sense, the doctors made that decision for me to some extent. Yeah. So I finished. Well, no, actually, first uh, I wrote a book um, this year called Letters on Motherhood, which is a series of letters on motherhood, as it sounds. Um, they're letters to my kids, to myself, to different bodily parts and my husband and strangers and everything um and uh, so I was wondering if you could write a letter on motherhood who would it be to and what would it say oh gosh that's a really hard question I don't know I'd probably, I'd probably write a husband letter to my husband saying thanks for sticking with me all these years I couldn't have done it without you <laughs> I think it'd probably be that there letter. There is that strange thing, though, isn't there? I think if you think, if you'd have chosen to have children with anyone else, oh. how different everything would be. Yes. Firstly, the children would be different, obviously, different genetics. But it's it's that thing of you are the parent you are because of who you're doing it alongside or not doing it alongside, but you're doing it on your own. Everything kind of factors into the mum that you are. Yes, yes. No, I think that would be the letter. It would it sounds a bit soppy, but it would be to my husband to say, thanks, we did this <laughs> together. <laughs> it's quite a long haul, but we had fun along the way. <laughs> See you for a dinner date soon. <laughs> yeah, 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 just the two of us. <laughs> um, and I end the podcast by you finishing three sentences. Um, so the first one is, being a mum means... Never sitting down. <laughs> I, just, I think your life being so full in a kind of brilliant way. Since having children, I? Mm, I'm fitter. I've had to keep really fit. Uh, yeah, definitely fitter and more organised. And I'm happy when? I think when we're all together and the children aren't on screens and we're all kind of chatting and um, they're all getting on. And it is kind of rare when you're everyone, you're all five of you are kind of together mm. chatting and my little one's not going, oh, this is boring, can I get down? Or, <laughs> you know, um, or one of the older ones isn't sort of picking a fight. I think it's those moments when you're, you know, we sit down for all our meals together. Dave's really, really you know, three meals a day. Well, two meals now the teenagers don't get up for breakfast but it's those moments when we're all you know together at the table and the the conversation really starts flowing and um you know particularly when they're teenage that it's those moments are really special yeah put a plate of food in front of them and they just start opening up yes 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 and you you know you've been there for half an hour or so and they haven't said can i go and watch the telly or you know <laughs> to my friend. I think that's what's been quite good about the lockdown is that kind of, is that none of their friends are doing, you know, none of their friends are doing anything. So my daughter says, I really miss my friends. And I will go call them or do a FaceTime. She says, I know, but there's nothing to talk about. It's not even like we can kind of bitch about our <laughs> teachers because we're not seeing them either. <laughs> you know? That's so true. So actually, they'd, almost, they'd rather talk to you than anyone else because, you know, we've got some chicks we can talk about. We've got some baby chicks. Couple of weeks, we can talk about those and what we're going to do today or what's the next meal going to be. And I think that's what's so nice is, 
you know, you just have to, you know, really kind of, it's been really lovely just sort of being together without any of those outside distractions. Yeah, I totally agree. And I'm glad that we're not the only ones who wake up for breakfast and go, so what are we having for dinner tonight? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are we talk about? <laughs> Samantha, thank you so much for being oh, a guest. Uh, you have really been fun. a joy to talk to. Yeah, thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you.